All right, today is All Saints Sunday, and that's the day when we remember all the saints, all the holy men and women and children of God. And that means you. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then today is your day. It's all saints, and that includes you. You're a saint, whatever your wife might say. <laughs> and of course, it also includes far more than just the people in this room. It includes the tens of thousands of saints right here in this city, and the tens of millions of saints in our country, and the two billion or so saints in every country in the world. The children of God who share one Lord and one Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's just the living saints. If it's really a day for all saints, then of course, that also includes all the saints who've died. 2,000 years of saints going back to Jesus' first disciples, and another 3,000 years of saints going back to Abraham, and then all the God-fearing men and women who lived before Abraham. That's a lot of saints. <laughs> just imagine when Jesus raises up that whole number of saints and gathers them all together in one place. What a sight that's going to be. So we remember them today. That whole enormous crowd of saints, the family that we're part of, from every tribe and language and people and nation on the earth. And we remember the great things that they did in God's name. The great thoughts that they had, and the books that they wrote, and the scientific discoveries they made, and the things they invented. Their poems and songs, their art and music, their drama and dance, the things they built, arcs and temples, cathedrals, colleges, hospitals and schools. The hungry they fed, the oppressed they freed, the poor they empowered, the orphans they housed, the sick they healed, the truth that they taught throughout the world, and the laws that they made, and the persecution they withstood, and the justice they accomplished. And today we thank God for his saints. We acknowledge what a different world we would live in today if they hadn't been saints. Holy men and women of God, if they hadn't put their faith in God and held on to Him and trusted Him and followed Him, what a different world we would live in today. So thank you, Father, for every one of your saints. Since Jesus came, almost every saint has begun his or her journey right here at the font of baptism. And a bit later on, it will be our great joy to baptize five new saints right here. We baptize the new members of the church because Jesus told us to. He said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do what Jesus commanded. But just before we do, I want us to think a little bit about this question. How does our baptism help us to be saints? How does our baptism 
help us to be saints. So in your service leaflets, we have three readings, and we're going to start on page five uh, with the New Testament lesson. That's at the top of the page. Here's what Paul wrote at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So here Paul draws a comparison between the Red Sea crossing in Exodus and Christian baptism. And by doing that, he points us back to the Exodus as a context for understanding our baptism. So I want to follow Paul's train of thought and go back to the story of crossing the Red Sea from Exodus 14. And in your service leaflet, it's conveniently on the opposite page, back on page 4. And I expect that most of you know the story of crossing the Red Sea pretty well, so I just want to draw attention to the last paragraph, starting at verse 30. So verse 30 begins, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord saved Israel that day. So the Red Sea crossing was primarily about salvation, about rescue. It was the day God saved his people from their enemies, from the hand of the Egyptians. And if this, in the Old Testament, is a great picture of salvation, then we can see that the process of God's salvation has three parts. Okay? So first, the people were taken out of the clutches of their enemies. They were released from slavery. Second, the enemies who enslaved them were destroyed. Did you notice that? It's a really important part of the Red Sea crossing, that the sea came back over the Egyptian army, and so that not even one of them survived. So the people, as they stood on the far shore, knew that they were secure. Their enemies were gone. There was no chance they would ever be recaptured again. And the third thing is that the people of Israel were then united under one leader, under a new master and a new leader. So the second half of verse 31 says, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Okay, so three parts to God's salvation. So we see that God's salvation for his people didn't just save them from something. It's not merely saving them out. It's also saving them for something. Right. He saves them for himself, for a new relationship with himself, that they would be his people, and that they would be free to worship him. So that's what we mean by salvation. And the day the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea was the day that they were saved. It was the day they came to real faith in their God. The day they learned to fear him and believe in him. And I think we can say that it was the day they were born. The day they were born as a nation, as a people belonging to God. Or at least the day that they were reborn. And Paul calls this day Israel's baptism day. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the people of Israel were saved through water. And they were saved together as a community by one mighty act of God, men, women, and children together. 
sharing in this one great experience that would knit them together as one people forever, that would teach them the fear of the Lord forever. For centuries afterward, they would be saying and praying and singing to God, we are the people that you brought safely through the Red Sea. This event became the centerpiece of their identity. So the Red Sea crossing was the baptism of the people of Israel. And we might ask our question about them. How did their baptism then help them to be saints? How did it help them to live as the holy people of God? And when we think about the Red Sea crossing, it helped them a lot, right? It helped them a ton. It freed them from Pharaoh so they were able to worship God. It taught them faith and the fear of the Lord. And it united them as one community under one leader. So their relationship to God became defined by this key fact, that he was the God who had saved them. All right, so now we'll go back to the New Testament. We're going to look at John chapter 3 at the bottom of page 5 in the service. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So grab a pen, find a pen somewhere, and triple underline that word, saved. Because that's why Jesus came. The great salvation event of the Old Testament was the Exodus, the rescue mission of Moses, which crescendoed in the crossing of the Red Sea, and the great salvation event of the New Testament was the rescue mission of Jesus which crescendoed in his death and resurrection. And as we read and study the New Testament, we see over and over again that those two great rescue missions are closely related. Enough to say that Jesus' death and resurrection can be called the second exodus, where Jesus himself is the true Passover lamb who was sacrificed on Passover and whose blood protects God's people from death. And where Satan is the true slave master who kept God's children chained up until God rescued them. And on the cross, Jesus defeated Satan and his armies, just as Pharaoh and his armies were drowned in the Red Sea. And after his resurrection, the sight of Jesus alive again had the same effect on his disciples that the sight of the Red Sea closing had on the Israelites. They feared God and believed. And it became the moment that would define their lives forever. So we can think of the death and resurrection of Jesus as the second exodus. And we can also see then that it's much greater than the first. The crossing of the Red Sea, marvelous as it was, was only a shadow of what was to come. Only a foretaste of the day when God would save the whole world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. <laughs> Paul said that the people of Israel were baptized when they participated in crossing the Red Sea, the first exodus. And correspondingly, our baptism is a participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the second exodus. Okay, I'll say that again. So Paul said that the people of Israel were baptized when they participated in crossing the Red Sea, which is the first exodus. And correspondingly, our baptism is a participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is the second exodus. 
Okay? So Paul says to the Romans, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So in a few minutes, we're going to baptize five candidates. And as the water covers their heads, think of them dying. They're dying with Jesus. They're participating in his death. And then when they safely emerge from the water, think of them rising again. They're participating in his resurrection. And then afterward, when they dry off and the baptism is finished, Think of them standing safely on the far shore of the Red Sea, standing safely with the rest of us, free as the waters close over Pharaoh and his arms. So in other words, as these baptisms happen, look through the simple things that we're going to do and see the great things that they mean. Look beyond the sign and see the thing that it signifies. Because this event that we're going to see this morning isn't a great event, except that it recaps and reenacts the greatest event in history, and that it connects us truly and bodily with that event. So many Christians, as they live their lives with Jesus, think about this question, what was the moment I was saved? What was the moment I was saved? And some of us answer that it was the moment we first put our faith in Jesus and believed for ourselves that he was our Savior and Lord. That's a perfectly good answer. And others say that it was the moment we first repented, that we prayed a prayer that asked God for forgiveness, and we know he answered it, and we were saved. And that's a good answer too. And some of us say that it's the day we received the Holy Spirit to come and live inside us. And perhaps that was a day marked for us by some special healing, Um, or a spiritual gift like speaking in tongues and we were saved when the Holy Spirit came and that's a good answer too and still others say that it was the moment that we were baptized because God washed away our sin in the waters of baptism alright so uh, we put our faith we repented, received the Holy Spirit some others say that it was the moment we were baptized that God washed away my sin in the waters of baptism and gave me new life in Jesus and that's a good answer too But I think we'd all agree that the deepest and most profound level, all of us here were saved at the same time. We were saved at the same moment in history. So just like the people of Israel were all saved through the Red Sea on the same day, so too were all new covenant believers saved on the same day, at the same precise moment. It was the moment that Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We were all saved at that moment. Not just because that was the legal transaction that made us free from sin, but also because we were there. We were there, dying with Jesus. That's what it means to participate in this death. And so the great experience that unites our Christian community throughout history and around the world is that we have all shared in that moment. We all died in that moment. And we were freed from Satan's grip forever. And that's what it means to participate in Jesus' death. That's what baptism signifies. So, with all that theology, we can finally come around to our question. How does our baptism help us to be saints? And I want to briefly mention three ways. 
they correspond to the ways the Red Sea helped the people of Israel. So first, they were freed from slavery so they could worship God. And we are freed from slavery to sin so that we can worship God. The cross of Jesus freed us from the guilt of sin and from the consequences of sin. We're forgiven because all our sin is paid for and we're reconciled to God as his adopted children. And that means that we can draw near to God with clean consciences and we're totally free to worship him. So as you feel the water of baptism on your skin today, the candidates are going to feel it and you guys are going to feel it too because Taylor's going to spurge you. Um, so as you feel the water of baptism on your skin, know that God has washed all your sin away. Second, the people of Israel saw their enemies drowned, and so they knew that they were secure. And we too have seen our enemies destroyed at the cross. Our three great enemies, the world and the flesh and the devil. We know that the devil was utterly des destroyed and defeated at the cross, and his days are short, and he no longer has power or authority to enslave us. He cannot bring us back into slavery, and if we resist him, he runs away. And our flesh, too, was destroyed at the cross, and by that we mean the sinful part of us that chooses the way of death. Jesus killed it. It died with him on the cross, and it gives us the security that we are no longer bound to behave in ways that destroy ourselves. And similarly, the world died there too. And by that we mean the conspiracy of humanity with all its idolatry and temporary rewards that stands opposed to the just reign of God. That's what we mean by the world. It died on the cross for us. So Paul wrote to the Galatians, it, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And since all three of our great enemies are drowned, we can feel secure. So again, as you feel the water of baptism on your skin today, know that your enemies are drowned. And finally, the people of Israel feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So through the Red Sea, a community of faith was born. And my prayer is that we too would learn to fear the Lord as we witness these baptisms today. And as we see beyond them to the death and resurrection of Jesus, that seeing that event reenacted would teach us anew the fear of the Lord. <coughs> I also pray that those great events of the second exodus would be the fire at the heart of our community. That sharing in this death and resurrection of Jesus together would be an experience so holy and profound that it binds us together as one people forever in a similar way to the way the crossing the Red Sea did for the people of Israel. So that we would then be a community where faith strengthens faith. That me bringing my faith and you bringing your faith into this place strengthens and confirms one another. The people of Israel became followers of Moses. And we, through this event of his death and resurrection, become followers of our Lord Jesus. So on the other side of the water, we know who our master is. And he's the one who's going to lead us the rest of the way. Amen.